T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. It's that time of night, you can't stay up tight. So come and join the people and I'm feeling all right here on over. America. All right. Welcome back. One last hour on the show tonight. You can always reach me online on Twitter at Ryan Recker or Ryan Recker Radio on Facebook. Just a couple of quick stories to start the hour. And then our friend Richard Bino joins us, author of American Politics on the Rocks. McDonald's and other chains are giving their drive throughs the Jetson treatment, meaning they're going to be trying to push more and more automated ways to order your food it made me wonder how long it would take before ai got into the drive-through as opposed to talking to someone through the squawk box where you don't understand what they're saying anyway i don't know about you but i got hearing problems and that's not a good thing at my age i'm 37 but wearing headphones for the a radio show for four days and listening to music radio when i was uh, working in that format for all those years and you have it cranked up a lot of people in the radio industry have hearing issues. It's just a common thing. So when I get to a drive-through and you hear the ladies or the guy or whatever, and, and you try to understand what they're saying and you you try to pick up on it. If it wasn't for the screen that showed you exactly what you just ordered, I don't know if I would be able to understand when they repeated it back if they were uh, accurate or not. So I think it only takes a minute that. Uh, it says in 2019, the average McDonald's drive-through took six minutes, 18 seconds. But recently, the company tried to time that down to five minutes in 49 seconds to 2020. Okay, and they want to get that down even further. And it looks like they might use things like the Jetsons, as in um, being served by computers, not a human, like Alexa or Siri in the drive-through, and use artificial intelligence to speed up the service. I wouldn't be against that. They're pretty accurate when it comes to the way that handles it. And they probably would be a lot easier to understand the tone and things. But part of this is a need for trying to speed things up. Another part is when you keep threatening $15 an hour, federal minimum wage or whatever it is, it's going to hurt a lot of these places. And that's the type of uh, things that normally get replaced by robots. One other thing, McDonald's announced that they've just partnered with a, another food company. And what they're going to be offering up is these McPlant burgers, they're called. 
the McPlant is exactly what it sounds, a plant-based option. Beyond Meat is uh, something that you may have heard, too. The McPlant Patty announced a three-year deal with McDonald's, and it's trying to replace the beef patty in some cases. Now, Burger King did this. They did the veggie burger type of deal, and I've tried the veggie Whopper, the Impossible Burger, and it's really good. I loved it. In fact, I would go out on a limb and say, if you were to take a bun and put all the fixings like a Whopper and put anything in the middle there, it could be an eggplant. It'll still taste like a Whopper. Because if you still got the mayonnaise and the ketchup and the onions and the tomatoes and the lettuce and the pickles and all this other stuff that goes on it, if you're dressing it up and you just you can plop anything, you might even be able to plop a hard-boiled egg in the middle of the thing, and it'll taste exactly like a Whopper because it's still dressed like it. So the veggie burger was actually pretty good. Now, the concern that they have with it is when you start cooking these things on the fryer with everything else, then it's going to get the grease. And if you have real dietary issues or other issues with eating meat, maybe you just don't like eating meat, well, if it's still being cooked with all the different things with meat, then you're still getting the, the byproducts of it on there. It may defeat the purpose. I don't know how McDonald's is planning on doing this. Maybe they'll microwave it for all I know. But I'm not opposed to eating this type of stuff. In fact, I've had the stuff out of the frozen food section in the freezers uh, section inside the grocery stores. And they're actually pretty good. I mean, you can tell it's not the same thing, but it's good. It doesn't taste bad. It's not something I would shy away from. It's just that I wouldn't, if I'm going to McDonald's, I'm not going to like seek it out. It might be a novelty thing for me to try out, but it wouldn't be something I would just replace for my own dietary purposes. It's just, you know, if it's there, I'd eat it type of deal. Probably not the ringing endorsement that McDonald's would want to hear for something like that. But then again, I think most people are like that. You're like, I don't care either way. Give me the burger. It tastes better. But, you know, if you got the other thing, I'll just I'll go for it. That's fine. All right. Our friend Rich Rubino, American Politics on the Rocks. He joins us next right after the break on Overnight America KMOX. Weekday mornings at 830. Charlie Brennan and Amy Marks Kors provide perspective on KMOX and KMOX.com. A regular guest that we have on Mondays that I look forward to every single week. He's the author of American Politics on the Rocks, Polita-Geek.com. And Rich Rubino, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, Ryan. Last week, so many people were impressed with your ability to name all of the presidents from oh, yes. 1 to 46, one after another, and they want me to keep testing you. I don't know if I want to turn Mondays into a quiz day, <laughs> as in it's almost like going back into grade school and there's a pop quiz or anything. Pop quiz, right. But, yeah. So there's a couple of recommendations. They said, how many vice presidents can he name? And I'm just, you don't, I'm not asking you to, but how many could you name? Uh, I think I could do it all. Wow. All right. Okay. If we were to say name the presidents in alphabetical order, would you be able to do that? No. Okay. That's a little tougher. Can you do the alphabet backwards? Uh, <laughs> luckily, I've never been in a situation where I've been pulled over and had to do that. Um, I don't think so. I could definitely do the vice presidents, but I've never learned it. The um, I've never learned it in terms of alphabetical order. I know there are some people who learn first ladies' main names. And that's something I definitely um, have never tried to learn that either. Wow. Yeah, that would be a new one. All right. So I wanted to talk to you about a few things. And I I noticed one thing online that surprised me, which is that President 
George Washington's actual birthday is disputed. I saw that some people believe he was born a couple of weeks before February 22nd. And the reason for that is because the date that was listed in a family Bible, I believe, was a different date. So I wanted to talk to you about some different disputed facts that we see in political history. Okay. Do you know any uh, good ones? Because I know the Truman one is always a good story. Oh, well, yeah, there are a few things with Truman. Um, The first thing is a lot of people think that, and this is very similar to him and Bill Clinton as well, people think that Truman was born in Independence, but of course he was actually born in Labar, Missouri, and landed up, but he grew up in Independence, similar to Bill Clinton called himself the man from Hope, but he actually only spent his first few years in Hope. His family later moved to Hot Springs, so that's really where he grew up. In terms of Truman, there were a couple of things. One of them is there's an S, Harry S. Truman. The S doesn't actually stand for anything. It's actually um, simply a letter to kind of show um, both his both of his grandfathers had names beginning with S. They kind of compromised. And they put an S there. There's a period after the S. There are some people who do not believe. There's a contentious issue in the Harry S. Truman community. Um, <laughs> it could it could lead to a civil war. I don't know whether you put the period in there or not. But the Harry Truman Library believes that you do put the period after S, even though it does not officially. Uh, stand for anything, but that's really a contentious issue. I don't know if I really want to get into that. I know because you don't want people picking sides. You might really no, divide no, this no. audience tonight. <laughs> they, I mean, it's really one or the other, obviously. And if you do pick a side, we're going to alienate a lot of people listening right now. Spoken like a true politician. <laughs> well, how would a politician answer that? That is a really good question that so many different Americans care about. And I'm here to tell you that I care about this too. That's how a politician would answer it. <laughs> yes, they would say it's a very, um, it's a very, it's a very important issue, and it's something that I will appoint a blue ribbon commission as soon as I get in office, and we will, tum- we will somehow be able, to, we will somehow be able to investigate that. I'm trying to think of other issues that um, of other things that have been con- that have been con- well. I guess one of them is there's always the issue of who the actual first president was. Most people say it's George Washington. There's actually the family of John Hanson. And most people don't know who John Hanson is, but he is from Maryland. Under the Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union, that was the precursor of the United States Constitution. It actually was a prior constitution, which basically curtailed almost every possible power from the federal government. The states basically, for example, you need all 13 states to raise, to, um, to, to raise taxes, for example. Eventually, when they had a constitutional convention in 1787 in Philadelphia, their only job was supposed to be to curtail the Articles but eventually they decided to create a whole new constitution with more federal powers. But under the first constitution, John M. Hansen, who was a member of the Continental Congress, was president for one year. So there are some folks who believe that John Hansen is rightfully considered the first president. So that's one thing that I think is certainly, um, is certainly interesting um, in terms of something that's kind of a disputed fact in American history. Another one would be canon two. So presidents are only li- are limited under the 22nd Amendment, to only serve two terms. Prior to that, they could serve as many as they wanted. Grant tried to run for a third term in 1880, lost. Roosevelt ran for a third term, then a fourth term. So the constitutional question is, is it permissible for a two-term president to then come back and run as vice president? And that's Mm -hmm. something that has always been two sides of. So that's another one. Does John Hanson have any schools or anything named after him? I think he has a statue in Maryland that's probably the closest. And I know his family is always holds out that he should be considered uh, the first president. 
It makes a pretty strong argument. But then again, everything that we know about George Washington, it would be difficult to strip that away. But who knows? Um, I always love learning about these things. And I know that you've been putting a new book together about facts and things of politics and the history. So I'm sure I'm just absolutely sure that you've come across some erroneous facts about politicians. You have to oh, yeah. as part of your research. There's a fascinating one about someone from Illinois, actually. There's a quote that's attributed to Everett Dirksen. Everett Dirksen was the Senate Minority Leader from Illinois. And this quote is essentially that Everett Dirksen said, a billion here and a billion there, and pretty soon you're talking about some real money. I had always thought it was him. But it actually, what happened was, some newspaper reporter erroneously attributed it to him, and then it kind of took on a life of its own. And Everett Dirksen was in an airplane one time, and the passenger next to him sat next to him and said, oh, he introduced himself. He said, what's your name? He said, oh, aren't you the one that said that famous quote? I love that quote. And Dirksen said, no, no, I never said it. I just never denied it. It was such a good quote. <laughs> That's one way to do it. <laughs> Keep your mouth shut is a great thing for politicians to do. A I noticed uh, carries no, A closed mouth um, gathers no feet. That's pretty good. What was the other one? There was an old spaghetti western called My Name is Nobody, and at the very end, they summarized the entire movie. The dude's getting a shave inside of a barber shop, and he says, and I'm not, I don't swear, but he says, when you're uh, up to your nose and you know what, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> <laughs> the one I was getting, I believe, was from uh, Sam Rayburn, the uh, very kind of somewhat loquacious uh, Speaker of the House, the longest-serving speaker who was uh, uh, from Texas, and that was where that quote, I believe, came from. I wanted to mention CPAC that happened oh, yes. in Florida over the weekend. We had some pretty large politicians, some names, people in office, some out of office, like Donald Trump, who was the headliner on Sunday, received um, you know, a pretty interesting uh, reaction online. A lot of people are quoting him, some of the things he said. He said, no, I'm not starting another political party, but he did leave the door open for running again in 2024. And normally during these conventions, they talk about you know who do you want to see run for president they do a straw poll and yep. surprise he won again um so it seems like at least some people want to see him run again they want to see him go for a, a second time around in the 2024 election but i'm curious about these straw polls because i know they're not really scientific but when you go back and look at them are they somewhat accurate are they is there anything that would indicate that they could actually predict what happens not so much for CPAC. CPAC has um, had, well, first of all, you got to remember, we're, you know, the, the election is, 20, is in 2020 and the nomination process, you know, New Hampshire and Iowa begins pre-January of 2020, so we're a long way out, so we really don't know. But normally they have been notoriously wrong in terms of picking people who are kind of, um, who are kind of um, favorites of the conservative movement but never go anywhere. For example, at one point in 1999, Gary Bauer, a social conservative <laughs> activist, and very few people probably heard of Gary Bauer today, but he actually won the straw poll that year. Um, so, you know, Ron Paul has won the straw poll. Uh, Rand Paul has won the straw poll, but they never actually, you know, gained much traction within the general conservative, within the general Republican electorate. you got to remember this is a very specific constituency. And in terms of Ron Paul, it's interesting that he did win because Ron Paul was um, kind of, uh, was kind of, um, almost persona non grata within the party after 2008 because Ron Paul had spoken against the Iraq war. And that was almost um, in a very minority position. He was really the only major Republican candidate who had done that. 
but it shows that the conservative movement within the Republican Party was not as vociferous for the Iraq War as, say, those who supported the Bush administration, based on the fact that Ron Paul was still able to win that constituency. A lot of it, by the way, was young conservatives, and a lot of young conservatives were less interventionist um, than older conservatives would be more likely to have supported the Iraq War. But in the past, you've seen Jack Kemp, for example, win. Jack Kemp was really um, a hero within the conservative movement. He was a tribune within the conservative movement. He talked. To, he was one of the co-authors of the Ralph Kemp tax, um, tax, tax cut, which essentially became the Reagan tax cut. So he was a hero, but he did not necessarily play well within the general Republican um, constituency. Donald Trump has certainly won in the past. The last one time, for example, but what I think is interesting is the way Donald Trump, if you look at it, has really consolidated that CPAC audience. Um, some of Donald Trump's past positions would have been persona and grata within the Republican Party, within the conservative movement. For example, um, there are some in the conservative movement, Jack Kemp would have been one of them, who are more, um, who are more liberal in immigration. Some pure free market supporters, free marketeers would say, let the market decide, let people hire people from other countries. They would say, we need to have a path to citizenship. That's gone within the conservative movement. Um, but that was kind of a very free market view. I think what um, what you've seen within CPAC is essentially the um, kind of the, the predominance of folks like Tucker Carlson, of Donald Trump, even folks like Mike Huckabee, Rick Santorum, somewhat social conservatives, but also who on economic issues are not kind of laissez-faire conservatives. They're not completely free marketeers. They're folks who do support some regulation, who do support some government um, who do support some government intervention in the economy, um, but they're also folks who very mu- who are very much want to restrict immigration, and on issues of trade. By the way, you know Donald Trump's position on trade is um, is certainly different than past conservatives whose views essentially they need to have free trade, need to open up markets. Whereas Donald Trump's position is more or less you need to curtail that and you need to protect um, infant industries and industries here in America. So there's really been a differentiation among conservative movement. But I did think it was interesting when you looked at there was a job approval poll that they did, and 97% of those at CPAC, 97% have a positive view of Donald Trump. And I just wondered what those folks would have said, you know, 10, 15 years ago when CPAC was known more or less as kind of a very much free market, very much libertarian bloodline of the party. Now it's really done. This is really done. The conservative movement in general, the Republican Party's as well are very much now a Donald Trump party as opposed to a kind of a, a kind of a free market you know let 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 everybody let you know kind of let the market decide type of republican conservatism which one which one shot predominated yeah and that seems to be shifting so much and it has over the past 5 6 years and it's hard to really put a the right marker the right gauge on the way the party will actually fall in the future because a lot of times you would all find that okay if you're a republican you know you're going to fall on this side but man there's been a lot of division in this and you know even donald trump as part of his speech talked about how they got to try to reunite the party and how the democrats got it together was that a fair assessment do you think that the republicans have a hard time uniting but the democrats pretty much are able to walk in uh lockstep at a moment like this no i mean there's always um there's, uh, there's always division within any party. I think both now, right now, both parties are so ideologically homogeneous. We really haven't seen anything like this probably, you know, going back probably in American history where the parties are so unified. You look at the stimulus package, um, the COVID relief package, for example, Joe Biden garnered no Republican votes, and he got two, he got two, 
Uh, Joe, he got two Democrats who defected, and they're both they're both blue dogs. They both come from at least you know one was one was Congressman Schrader from Oregon, and the other was Jeremy Golden, and they of course come from very rural conservative districts. So you really see very little division within really I think both parties right now. And I think that anybody who does, um, if you will look at this, put it this way: the vo- uh, let's go for the, Repu- the Republicans who voted to in- who voted to convict Donald Trump in the United States Senate. Okay, Susan Collins. She's a, she's a moderate. She was just reelected in 2020. She probably won't run in 2026, so she's probably safe. Mitt Romney has basically made his name as being against Donald Trump. Ben Sass of Nebraska comes from a very conservative state, but he was just reelected with no major opposition. He's probably positioning himself for 2024 as kind of the anti-Trump conservative. Bill Cassidy is up again in 2024. He's not up this time. That was one that I think was really, really quite a risk for him. The only one out of all those Republicans who I think really, um, and Richard Burr, by the way, from North Carolina, he's retiring next year, so it's safe for him. The only Republican who's really going to have a challenge because of her vote is Lisa Murkowski, who comes from Alaska. Alaska's only gone for a Democrat in a presidential election one time. That was 1964 when LBJ won 44 states. Um, and she's probably going to have a primary challenge this time around. So generally speaking, you look at the senators, the ones that are safe or the ones that want to position themselves as somebody, as someone of an anomaly in their party were the ones who voted for the conviction. So I don't think – I think that there is, very, there is a little bit of division within the party, but generally speaking, when someone does um, kind of come out against the establishment, there is really kind of the cavalry comes in, and eventually, you know, you're going to get a primary challenge. And I'll tell you, when Bill Cassidy does – if he does run for re-election, once he comes up, he's certainly going to have a primary challenge from a Trumpian Republican. You mentioned there was a comment by Congressman Jim Banks that I oh, do yeah. want to talk to you about after the break, if you can hold on, because sure. I do. I know Jim Banks. Um, you know, he came from the district I was living in in Indiana. Yep. We're friends oh, yeah. online okay. and uh, I knew his predecessor as well. So it'll be interesting to see the way that they approach their congressional leadership. There's also a question of w- which way do you go with this? Do you go stronger, conservative? Do you look the other way? Do you try to go weaken? Because, you know, there's there's two different approaches going on. And, you know, the Mitch McConnell way doesn't seem all that popular right now. And (laughs) so let's talk about that after the break. It's Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks. And we'll take a look at your weather coming up, too, on Overnight America KMOX. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? 
Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Cardinal Spring Training is underway in Jupiter, Florida. And KMOX's Mike Claiborne is covering it all. Hear his daily reports, mornings and afternoons, and on Cardinal's Open Live. Sponsored in part by Norm's Bargain Barn and Wilkie Windows. I'm your voice in the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX. Welcome back to Overnight America. We're on weeknights here on KMOX. It's always a pleasure when you get to join us here and you allow me to take over your ears for a few hours, which is nice. Rich Rubino joins us on Mondays, author of American Politics on the Rocks. Thanks again, Rich, for sticking around. Polit-Geek.com, people can find you there, too. Indeed. Yeah, and I was wondering one thing that you teased earlier when we were talking on Facebook was a comment by Congressman Jim Banks. I know Jim Banks were friends on social media. He is someone that became the congressman in the district I was living in in Indiana when Marlon Stutzman, who was the congressman, ran for Senate. He had to vacate that seat. Uh, Jim Banks won pretty easily. It's a super Republican area in northeast Indiana. And Jim Banks, nice guy. He was someone that served in the state legislature for a while. And him and his wife, actually, um, when he served overseas, his wife stepped in and, you know, because they'll do that. The wives will come in sometimes if they're uh, serving in, uh, you know, combat. And very nice, very nice couple, very nice family. He's made a comment that stood out to you that you found pretty interesting. And by comparing it to what we've seen in the past, there's been a lot of questioning of the leadership when it comes to the political parties today. Yeah, it's interesting. So he was sitting there at CPAC, and he had Kevin McCarthy um, sitting next to him. And basically what he said was, Usually there's a divide within the Republican Party between the conservatives and the establishment. And that is true. It's true of the Democrats, too. There's usually the grassroots conservatives, the folks would be at places like CPAC, just like the left. It would be the folks that go places like Netroots and go to, you know, we're on the site Daily Cause. They're oftentimes within, have a divide within the actual um, establishment of the party. Folks like Kevin McCarthy's job in order to become speaker is often um, to compromise, to work with the Democrats, and it's oftentimes to recruit people to run in more moderate districts. And some of those folks that would be, that would be recruited in more moderate districts would not necessarily be a conservative. Um, Kevin McCarthy, first of all, he signed on to the amicus brief to the Supreme Court, which basically said that there were election irregularities which some folks in the establishment thought was odd because he was basically an establishment figure. When he did this, his predecessor, uh, when he came, so he, when he came into Congress, Bill Thompson, who was the very powerful chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, who was his predecessor, basically condemned him for doing this on a local station in Bakersfield. Um, so there's always this kind of division. You know, Newt Gingrich, for example, had the same problem within the very conservative bloodline of the Republican Party. Eventually there was a failed coup to um, kind of to eliminate his power. Mitch McConnell has had that problem in Kentucky in 2014. Scott Bevin, who eventually, Matt Bevin, rather, who eventually became the governor of Kentucky, ran a very formidable race against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, basically saying that Mitch McConnell is too much of a compromiser, in part because McConnell has to actually, you know, work in Washington to accomplish things. But he basically said that there, Jim Banks, who is, by the way, Jim Banks, he's the chairman of the Republican Study Committee, and the Republican Study Committee is essentially 
the most conservative members of the House of Representatives since the Republican Party has become more conservative. It's now got 160 members. About 75% of the Republican caucus are members. Jim Banks is now the chairman, and he basically gave his um, he basically gave his support to Kevin McCarthy, saying that Kevin McCarthy is going to be a great Speaker of the House. So what this shows is essentially that there is no real division, at least amongst um, folks that are members of the Republican Study Committee and Kevin McCarthy. And you certainly have seen in the past, there's always been that kind of inherited tension. Paul Ryan, certainly, John Boehner, certainly both had a lot of problems within the right wing of the Republican Party. They thought they were insufficiently conservative. But if he's giving him his blessing, then essentially that means that the um, conservative bloodline of the Republican Party is all in with Kevin McCarthy, and there will not probably be a ch- if Kevin McCarthy does speak to, if the Democrat Republicans do take over in 2022, which could very well happen, there will probably not be a challenge for the a challenge for the speakership within the conservative wing of the Republican Party against Congressman McCarthy. You know, how do they line this sort of thing up years in advance based on how people's <laughs> opinions change weekly? And there could be a million scandals between now and then. Like, look at Governor Cuomo in oh, New yeah. York. Anything can change in a week. So trying to line up allegiances right now seems to me like it could change at any given moment. Oh, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, you go back in 1966, 1965, the Democratic Party certainly was um, consolidated that they were going to support Lyndon Johnson in 1968. The election was supposed to be a pro forma, and then essentially the the country gets embroiled in Vietnam. Um, there's no way there was essentially no way out. And then Eugene McCarthy, a little known senator from Minnesota, got, gets into the race. Then he garners 52 percent in New Hampshire. No one can believe it. Then Johnson all of a sudden drops out. So. It's 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 very much can happen that uh, somebody will you know will get give their support to a certain candidate and then something happens then essentially those folks will essentially kind of abandon ship. There's always a few that kind of stay on the reservation and sometimes those are the ones who um, can be in, can get in trouble politically. But that being said, the people who did support Donald Trump after the Access Hollywood tape came out, when some people were saying we need to support Mike Pence, we need to have somebody else as a nominee, a lot of those people. Um, were essentially reward, awarded by Donald Trump and actually got jobs in the administration because they were kind of with him at his high, at his low watermark. But there's always that possibility, and certainly nothing is set indelibly in stone. And certainly, if there if there is to be a major scandal, or if Kevin McCarthy were to do something and compromise with Nancy Pelosi, and I could definitely see members of the Republican of the Republican Study Committee either, um, you know, support, deciding that they're not going to support McCarthy for Speaker. I could even see some conservatives trying to garner a um, a conservative challenger in his uh, very conservative uh, Bakersfield, California congressional district. You know what someone mentioned to me on the show last night? So you have Donald Trump down in Mar-a-Lago, and they said he could run for Congress because that, that's, <laughs> he could be a vulnerable thing. <laughs> could you ever imagine I don't something see that like happening, that? But... <laughs> As a, I know that we've had former people in the White House run for Senate and, you know, other high offices like vice presidents that have ran for high office. Has a president of the United States ever ran for a lower office? Yes, absolutely. Um, A couple of them. Well, first of all, you have Andrew Johnson. So Andrew Johnson was impeached, but then he survived by one vote. At the time, you had the at the time it was the it was the state legislatures who would appoint the um, the states the United States senator. This was prior to 1913, so you didn't have an actual vote. But Andrew Jackson in one in, in 1875 and actually became a senator, um, and then died about six months into his term. But the real example, the most important example, would be John Quincy Adams. 
So John Quincy Adams uh, lost re-election 1828, came back to Massachusetts, did run for Congress, served in the United States Congress, was an abolitionist when it came to the, on the issue of slavery, and actually died um, it, while in the House of Representatives. He'll end up taking him to the Speaker's House, and, he, and he, the Speaker's uh, House, and he actually, the Speaker's Chambers, by the way, rather, and he actually did die, but John Quincy Adams did actually serve in the um, United States House of Representatives. There have been examples of vice presidents, uh, most notably Alvin Barkley. Alvin Barkley was vice president under Harry Truman. Prior to that, he was the majority leader of the United States Senate from Kentucky. After 1952, he wanted to run for president, but after the unions, who really were hegemonic over the Democratic Party, told him that they thought he was too old, he went back to Kentucky, won a, Congress, won, won a United States Senate seat. Hubert Humphrey, 1968, lost by razor's edge election to Richard Nixon. By 1970, he comes back, wins a Senate seat in his home state of Minnesota. Then he runs for president again in 1972. And an interesting example is Richard Johnson. Richard Mentor Johnson was vice president under Martin Van Buren from 1837 to 1841. He actually came back, and he actually ran for a seat in the state legislature in Kentucky and lost. No. Now that's got to be embarrassing. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I had um, a guest on once. We were talking about how, and this is uh, going back a few months, how President Trump said he wasn't going to attend the inauguration. Instead, he was going to go do something else. And we we're looking at some past presidents that did that. And he pointed out all of the past presidents from Washington to Lincoln, the ones that decided to skip the inauguration were all abolitionists. He said that was kind of an interesting coincidence. Well, so okay, so yeah, so it's, so you had yep, you have John Adams against Thomas Jefferson in eighteen oh one, and he was one of the he was one of the first six presidents who was not um, he was enslaved or and he was from Massachusetts, of course. Then you had John Quincy Adams not attending uh, Jackson's inauguration, and then later on, I guess after the Civil War. You had Andrew. Well, I guess prior to that, you also. Yeah, it's a good point. You actually did have Martin Van Buren in 1841. He did not intend um, William Henry Harrison's inauguration, even though they had a pretty cordial relationship personally. And then by 1848, Martin Van Buren had left the Democratic Party and was running as essentially an abolitionist as a Free Soil Party nominee and garnered about 10.1 percent of the vote. And then, of course, Andrew Johnson, I guess, would be the only kind of uh, would be the question in that because although it was after the Civil War, Andrew Jackson had been generally supportive of the South, but then um, he had he, he had a contentious relationship with Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant had supported his impeachment and conviction, so Johnson did not attend. But you're in, that's, that's right, those first three, though, all would have been abolitionists. That's fascinating. Yeah, up until Lincoln. Yeah, that was an in- interesting coincidence. That could be a good trivia question. How's your uh, book, by the way, coming along? It's coming along. It's coming along. It's um, going to probably be about 400 pages of all um, political <laughs> trivia, Everything from, you know, somewhat obscure, but then when it is obscure, I try to somewhat make it um, interesting so that, you know, there's a few facts there so that people can learn something as well. But it's definitely going to be more extensive than the uh, last couple of books. Yeah. So if someone drops it on their foot, it's going to break a toe, (laughs) essentially. Uh, Yes, but I don't think I'd be liable. (laughs) <laughs> I hope not. Put a disclaimer in the back, just in case you drop this on your foot. We are not responsible for any broken bones. So, by the way, if people wanted to find your appearances or find you on social media, where can they look? Yeah, you can just go to Facebook and type in Rich, last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O. Or you can go to Twitter and type in Rich Rubino, P-O-L. Or you can go to www.polita-geek.com. 
One other thing, and we talk about trying to question the leadership within their own party, and you were talking Kevin McCarthy, but on the Democratic side, there's always this threat that the super progressives, the AOCs and such, may try to rise up into power. Now, it never really worked with Bernie Sanders. It seems like he is one that was always super liberal in his uh, policies, but he's never one that really challenged the party. It seems like he always thought, well, it's better for me not to, even though I would, you know, even though he'd run for president with his policies, but afterwards, you know, he didn't try to make a lot of waves like some of the other ones do. Do you think that'll ever catch on in the Democratic Party? Do you think that maybe that one day that they'll have enough support from the super progressives that would be able to rise up and take over what would be more an establishment Democrat? I don't see it happening in the next 20 years, but it's interesting about Bernie Sanders, because what Bernie Sanders is, is he's a sore socialist. There are are folks like Victor Berger, who was the first socialist elected to Congress, from Wisconsin, who get in there and basically their job is to kind of be ideologues, if you will, to speak out for the socialist cause. Sanders is different because Sanders is somebody who, even though he's arguably the most liberal member of the United States Senate and outwardly calls himself a democratic socialist, he's somebody at the end of the day that actually wants to accomplish something. So he actually works, for example, with Republicans. When he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont, for example, he worked on issues that were kind of non-ideological. He worked very hard on bringing a minor league baseball team to Burlington, for example, and he worked with Republicans in the legislature on property tax relief. Um, when he was in the state, when he was a congressman from Vermont, he voted against the Brady Bill, which is something you would say, why would a socialist um, vote against the Brady Bill? In part because he represents one of the most conservative states when it comes to um, gun issues in the country. So he he, he was. You know, at the first congressional race, for example, he was actually supported by the NRA in part because the Republican opponent that he had was somebody who had said he was not who had, who had said that he was going to vote um, for the assault who said he was going to vote against the assault weapons ban and voted uh, sorry an earlier version of the Brady Bill and ended up voting against it. So he's kind of he's somewhat he's kind of an interesting figure. Now, folks like AOC are the ones that you do hear that spend a lot of time, certainly on television, talking about just about everything. But I don't think that they're nece- I don't. I think most most Democrats. I think for the most part want their party to be in a majority, even if they're the farthest left Democrat that there is. Even if they come from congressional districts that are 85, 90 percent Democrat, at the end of the day, they want their party to be in a majority. And they know that if somebody like AOC, because of the way that she's been um, that she's been excoriated by conservatives and certainly in Middle America, were to become speaker, at the end of the day, it would probably hurt their cause. So I don't see that happening. I mean, Nancy Pelosi herself, as Speaker of the House, is certainly a hindrance to a lot of Democrats running for re-election, if for no other reason than because she happens to represent San Francisco. So immediately you say San Francisco values. You know, why would somebody from why would you vote for Sam in San Francisco if you're representing rural Minnesota or rural Wisconsin or rural or you know or northern Florida, something to that effect? But I don't see somebody like that becoming the next Speaker of the House. By the way, this is this is an interesting question because. Nancy Pelosi has promised, as part of the deal last time around, folks like there were a bunch of congressmen, Seth Moulton from Massachusetts, Tim Ryan from Ohio, and they made a deal that they would essentially support um, Nancy Pelosi this last time around for Speaker of the House in return if she agreed that by the end of this term that she would not run for reelection as Speaker of the House. So that means that, assuming she keeps her word, which she may very well not, that there will likely be a battle within the Democratic Party for either the job of minority leader or Speaker of the House, and you certainly will see a battle. And my guess is there will be somebody that is in the progressive wing that will try to take that will try to take that on. My guess is they will get somebody who is more or less establishment. My guess is it's going to be 
um, Hakeem Jeffries of New York, who's kind of been consolidated support within all the wings of the Democratic Party. That's the guy who I think will probably be the next speaker. Whoa, more predictions. Boom, uh, right here <laughs> on Overnight America. Okay, so politicgeek.com <laughs> and his book, uh, American Politics on the Rocks. Richard Bino, thank you so much for coming on again tonight to Overnight America. Thank you so much. He is so good, and he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. So we'll test him on the maiden names of first ladies next week and see if he can name all of them which would be nearly impossible. I would say zero people in the United States can name that off the top of their head. This is Overnight America, KMOX. This is Overnight America, sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com on KMOX. Well, getting ready to wrap up Overnight America for the night. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. We'll be back again tomorrow. Producer Mike missed this over the weekend, so on Sunday... The Cardinals and the Washington Nationals played their first spring training game, 4-4 time. Flaherty not looking great, um, but Kevin Wheeler had a great opinion piece on him at KMOX.com in the sports section if you wanted to go read that, some of his thoughts of what could be happening this summer. And during the call on television, Danny Mac had a comment about Angel Hernandez, and this is hilarious. I'm going to play it because producer Mike hasn't heard it yet. And keep in mind, I don't remember what part of the game this was. It might have been his first at bat. Angel steps up to the plate. And the one. No, I, he's the umpire, but I mean, the Washington steps up to the plate. Uh, he's the umpire that's uh, behind the, the plate, I should say. And the 1 1. Angel Hernandez is in midseason form. Let's <laughs> not make this game too fast, Angel. <laughs> Angel Martinez is in midseason form. Oh, that's funny. Angel Hernandez. What did I say? Angel Martinez. Oh, that's a radio broadcaster over in uh, Los Angeles. I'm sorry. I messed that up. But that's so great. And immediately someone heard that and said, I got to put that up online. And it was trending on Twitter all Sunday. It was great to see that. But no, no credit to the Cardinals broadcast team for that one. But still. Very funny, nonetheless. If you want to go online, you can. It'd be nice to uh, hear from you on Twitter, Ryan Wrecker Radio. That'd be the place to look, Ryan Wrecker Radio. I found Kevin Kleen's next whole other story, and I know we only got a couple of uh, seconds to do this, but over on Fox News, a man won the $500,000 Powerball prize because he played the numbers in his fortune cookie. I thought, this is the guy Kevin Kleen needs to talk to for a whole other story. Who actually plays those numbers in a fortune cookie? No one plays those. I guess some people do, and this guy ended up winning a lot of money. There's a lot of people that end up just picking something because it's they feel like, you know, it's it's worth a, a waiver, and it works out for them. It doesn't have to be lotto, but sometimes it just works out. All right, uh, enjoy the rest of your night. we got the replay hours coming up next. Ryan Wrecker Radio on Facebook if you want to like us there at Ryan Recker. In the replay hours, we'll also include uh, a guest we had talking about Donald Trump's taxes being turned over in New York, CEO of and founder of Engineer Tax Services, Julio Gonzalez, next hour. Enjoy the rest of your night. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. My heart beats with the lonely rain Wishing I could see your face again Change the
has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh.